I read from Psalm 138. I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky has been studying happiness for well over 20 years. Uh, from this point on, I'll not pronounce her last name, I'll just call her Dr. Sonia. The interviewer that I watched on a video asked her, I would be a lot happier if your last name were Smith. Dr. Sonia says that her research has led her to slice happiness into three unequal pieces. 50% of our happiness comes from our DNA. She says we are like Tigger or Eeyore based on mom and dad more than anything else. She says we like are like the thermostat on the wall. Our temperament has a preset temperature. Surprisingly, according to her, only 10% of happiness comes from life circumstances. A raise and pay at work, the kids' good grades, or your learning that your first grandchild is to be born. Looking at newlyweds and lottery winners, Researchers have found that people almost always return to their genetic disposal set of points after life events spike their joy. And by the way, I'm told lottery winners 10 in five years to not know where it all went. Dr. Sonia claims that we have control over the remaining 40% of our happiness. That large slice of the pie represents our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. 
and they can be managed through happiness-fostering habits. University of Wisconsin researcher Richard Davidson agrees. After studying the brains of Buddhist monks, he found that people can show markedly higher reports of happiness after two weeks by merely thinking about kindness and compassion for 30 minutes a day. Dr. Sonia isn't just revisiting the power of positive thinking. She adds the power of positive being. Dr. Sonia says certain behaviors lead to certain attitudes, and the reverse is true as well. Certain attitudes lead to certain behaviors. She suggests several patterns that promote cheers. They include forgiveness, avoiding social comparisons, nurturing deep relationships, taking care of your body, and even practicing religion and spirituality. This is where Dr. Sonia's research proven list touches Psalm 138. Her number one happiness habit is being appreciative. It is fostering an attitude of gratitude, not just feeling, but expressing thankfulness. She suggests things like writing a thank you note to your favorite high school teacher. And that's going to be hard for some of us. Sharing with them who or he, he or she helped them to become. On counting your blessings and literally listing them until your haves overwhelm your have-nots. Or calling the how is my driving hotline when a driver is courteous. Dr. Sonian cites a study in which one group of people listed five things they were thankful for, and they did this weekly for 10 weeks. She also had other comparison groups writing different kinds of weekly lists, like five major events, five hassles of the week, and so forth. The thankful group reported more happiness and contentment than did the comparison groups. They even reported improved health in the form of fewer headaches and coughs. Oh, you can skip the doctor if you just be thankful. In pay it forward, fashion, people we intentionally thank will also experience increased happiness. It appears that looking out for numbers 2, 3, 2 through 10 is really looking out for number 1. Dr. Sonia doesn't like the bumper sticker, practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. She says, don't make your acts random and senseless. Make them planned intentionally and habitual. Gratitude first impacts the giver 
and then radiates through the receivers. Kindergarten teacher give gold star stickers and smiley face stamps because of the joy that recognition creates in their kids. Although God may appreciate Dr. Sonia's science, all truth is God's truth. God's probably smiling. I told you so, Grin, right now. Gratitude is a mainstay of biblical virtue. Research shows that expressing gratitude brings joy to the giver, but also radiates happiness to people around them. Let us now look at Psalm 138. It is divided into three sections. Section one are verses one, two, and three. This is David's personal thanksgiving. Section two is our verses four, five, and six. And this is thanksgiving of the larger community. And then verses seven and eight tell why God should be thanked. In keeping with the Psalms outline, we should ask three questions. First question, who should I thank? The Bible's history book tells the story behind this psalm. David was plucked from obscurity to be anointed king. David gave him the ability, or God rather, gave David the ability to kill a giant and thereby become a military hero. David's life was continually spared as he ran from Saul and Saul's headhunters. He was given power and privilege and then unmerited grace when he abused that power and privilege. He could, we could go on and list many other parts of David's story. Scholars do not agree on which experience verse 3 refers to. And that verse is, on the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. The real point is that it could refer to a list of items longer than Santa Claus gets at the mall each year. David had tons to thank God for. And I bet each of us do as well. It would be a good exercise if we, each of us, would sit down and, with pencil and paper and make our own list. Then we would need to make a list of those people through whom God worked to bring us those blessings. And of course, next, we would need to do is thank those people. Another Dr. Sonia study found that people who wrote and, be, and delivered letters of appreciation to those they had never formally thanked caused their own happiness to remain elevated for as long as a month afterward. Now the second question we should ask is, who should 
we ask. David calls for corporate praise of God. In verse 4, God's words are worthy of celebration. And in verse 5, his ways merit, merit joyous songs of praise. This suggests to us that there are many who need to be thanked beyond God. Pastors had their day last month. This congregation has more than 100 people, and I've never stopped to count. More than 100 at least who do the ministry of this congregation. We have officers of the congregation. We have committees who meet, plan, and carry out their plans. We have elders who do much more than pray at the table. They have regular meetings and they take communion to people unable to receive it at the worship service. They respond to the needs of people. We have CWF women who provide meals for families who have lost a loved one. They raise funds for mission work. They create programs of interest. There are people involved in Jubilee and food pantry and choir and tech arts, deacons preparing communion and serving. And the list goes on as there are people doing things of which I am not aware. The bottom line is, thanked volunteers are happier volunteers. And by the way, one of those hundreds is not gonna be here next week and we're gonna find out just how much that person does. The third question is, how should we think? In a survey of 10,000 employees from 1,000 largest companies, 40% of the workers cited lacked of recognition as a primary factor in their leaving the company. Dorothy read this week of a man who took his own life. He was an accountant and he'd never made a mistake and nobody had ever told him and he thought he wasn't appreciated. Thank God that God does not leave our churches over similar lack of recognition. While our songs and spoken words of gratitude don't guarantee the inner condition of our souls, our hearts, our minds, and our attitudes, God is able to see into our hearts' attitudes. David wasn't just giving thanks because he was supposed to. He seemed to have no other choice but to do so. Gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving were so deeply rooted in David that they exploded into ecstatic divine love poetry. How does that kind of gratitude make its home, not just in our hymns, our words, and our nice notes, but in our hearts and our souls? For David and for us, praise practice makes perfect. David's life was a noble train wreck at times. 
He had moments of spiritual brilliance and moments of utter dullness. But God kept using and delivering David, both because of David and despite him. When you see that kind of grace from God in your life, it just changes you from the inside out. David says this brilliantly in Psalm 34, verse 5. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said it this way. Unless the outer life expresses the inner world, purity stagnates and intention decays. Unless Sunday worship, hymns of praise, and prayers before dinner radiate out of a heart of gratitude, they are just shells of concepts, empty words, decayed intention. When thank you, is truly expressed to God and to others, it both changes us and means that we have been changed already. Amen.